Thanks for tuning in to our bonus episode preview. This is just a short sample of this week's exclusive Patreon episode. You can hear the episode in its entirety by becoming a member at patreon.com slash indoctrination, where you'll gain access to all of our exclusive episodes and merchandise. I am so happy when I get to meet someone, talk to them, and then I get to talk to them again. And so it is a treat to have you back on the show, Daniela. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. Very cool. I'm glad. I'm glad. And so this is a bonus episode, and this is especially for our supporters as a as a thank you. It is so important to be able to find out how someone has been since they've been on the show. I get a lot of people writing in, calling in, saying, thanks, I'm so glad to have met this person and hear their story. And I'm so curious how things are going or how things went, especially if they were right on the cusp of doing something. So I know a lot has happened since we've talked, uh, really a whirlwind of things. So uh, let's get started with that. So how has life changed since we last spoke? I was joking that I got a book, a Harvard degree, and a puppy since the last time we talked. So things have been rocking. You know, something I've been thinking about recently is when we talk about the healing and the post-call, post-trauma journey and deconstruction, we talk a lot about the power of owning your story, but I think we don't emphasize enough, like, owning your story. And, you know, like I took this story of being exploited as a child in a cult and, you know, being somewhat used and abused in the military, but I put it into a story and I made it a product. I own it. I had kind of a hard time with the cover because I didn't want a photo of me on the cover. And, but I knew it was emotional. And I, I had this moment of realizing that like, I am exploiting these stories, this photo, and eventually even the childhood acting training or, you know, work that they made me do for the cult to read my audiobook, which got recommended in the New York Times, um, was a super, super hard thing to do, but just, it feels really good, right? To kind of wrap this up with a bow, you know, healing is never done. Right. But it is so much different now, a year or two later that stories out in the world I'm hearing from all these people and readers and everyone's connecting with it. It's so nice. It's so nice. And so what is really important, I think to do is to revisit some of the stories that you were telling me when we were last on, but I know that we didn't talk as much about your time in the military. And I wanted to make sure to give you an opportunity to explore that more if you wanted. I know it might feel like you've talked about things a lot when you're writing something and rewriting something, you can feel like you've told the story a million times, even if it is to you uh, before it's published. And then when it's published, you've already told it to however many people are reading it. But I would love to be able to explore that part more because we don't hear about that as much on this podcast. And so can we start there with your time in the military and what you noticed and what some of the similarities and some of the differences? And I'll start, I'll start actually by saying that there was a man I worked with years ago who had been in Afghanistan. What I remember was he was involved in a Bible-based cultic group at the time, and 
he realized that he felt safer in Afghanistan than he did in his Bible-based cult. And the thing that really got him, and you never know what it's going to be that's going to be the distinguishing factor for each person, but for him it was that they were all responsible for each other and to each other, and no one was going to be left behind. And in his cultic group, everyone was ratting on each other and throwing each other under the bus and clamoring to move up the ladder and using people as sport in this way and their information as sport, like, uh, like you know, chess pieces to navigate your own way up the food chain. And he never felt emotionally or socially safe, even though he thought that's what he was going towards by getting involved in a Bible-based group. And when he had this uh, epiphany on the battlefield of feeling safer there than in his church group, he uh, he realized there was something to it. So I'm wondering if we can start with some of your experiences there and some of your insights about it. Absolutely. This is a great time to talk about the military as a cult too, because, well, I'll get there. You know, so for anyone who hasn't read the book, right, my prologue starts off, I'm in basic training, I'm doing this exercise that is well known. And this is after a week called reception, which is the same thing it's called in prison, right? The first week that you're getting in there and you are becoming systematized, right? You are going from being individual to being sort of a serial number. They take your name just like you do in a cult because you're called by your last name now. And if your last name is complicated like me, you probably get called alphabet. If you're a man, they take your hair. So there's all these different moments of ownership. And then you get to the first day of basic training. And the first thing that happens is you're holding this 50-pound duffel bag over your head for like two or three hours. And they're yelling at you. And I have this realization. I just joined another cult. And I think there's something really important about this event that ties into group behavior research, which is this duffel bag thing. It's impossible and it's irrational, right? So it's impossible. Nobody can do that, right? So you're going to feel broken. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like weird with the group. You're also getting physically very punished as it were, right? But I think the more important thing is that it's irrational, I'm willing to guarantee that nobody that hasn't been in the military of the listeners, right, has gone out and held 50 pounds above their head for two hours. And research shows that when we do one irrational group activity, we are very, very likely to stick with that group and to not complain or, you know, bring up questions about future irrational activities, right? And this is all around group norms and how they are. You know, so this was my first experience with the military and I'm 22 years old. I'm just out of college. So I left the cult when I was 15, the children of God, put myself through high school, put myself through college, end up in the military. I see now looking back that I joined the military for all the reasons that people join cults, right? I was seeking, I was in a toxic relationship. I hadn't, I had great scholastic success, right? Because I'm a, I'm a good old evangelical perfectionist and, you know, the, the strength and suffering and I can throw myself at anything. And so I go in the military, in the army, and my first realization, oh, this is another cult. Like, to me, that's not a bad thing. To me, that is, I know how to do this, right? Like, I know how to be a good soldier because I have been not an individual. I have been a group member my whole life 
interestingly enough, this is the same tone you see in Prince Harry's book, going from royal family to military, right? And in my opinion, why so many of these high control religions like evangelicalism, like Mormonism, their members will do very well in the military because we are used to to a lot of that. And the children of God specifically, of course, was militaristic in like format, the way we had sort of like brigades, battalions all over the world, people got moved in between them, and also an ideology of being soldiers of God, you know, God's army. That's the cover of the book is me at the age of two dressed up in in tinfoil armor. But so so I was like, I was ready for this parallel of, you know, Uncle Sam's army, God's army, like I know what I'm signing up for which today I will tell you, I think is one of the biggest thought-stopping cliches, right? You knew what you signed up for. It's how we shut down critical complaint, either in ourselves or in, you know, others. So I was ready, you know, and I was a, a fairly good soldier, but what I was not prepared for were the parallels of rape culture, sexual violence, and just how dangerous it was for women. And that parallel, I think, paralleled almost perfectly to the sex cult. And so what happened to me was I get to Afghanistan. You know, basic training, I think, is traumatic no matter what. It was built by psychologists who studied abuse and how to break people down. So that's one level of trauma we don't even talk about. And I started having flashbacks in basic training. But then I get to Afghanistan, where as a woman, I'm probably less than 5% of the population on Kandahar Airfield. And here I am again, right? 23 years old, behind these high commune walls that I cannot leave in incredible danger. And to me, right, years later, even when I'm trying to sell this story, I'm getting told, you know, by publishers, we don't like to do books about children of God because the abuse is too horrible, right? Like it's too hard to talk about pedophilia. But also, we don't do books about military women because they don't sell. And so this was my realization. And this was right as Vanessa Guillen, a young woman who was murdered at Fort Hood, had gone missing and had not been found for over 60 days. And if a rifle goes missing for 60 minutes, they will shut down everything and everyone will look for it. So here was this national symbol to any woman who's served, like you matter less than a rifle. I think a lot of that is going on in our country right now. And I had that thought, right? I was like, there are all these parallels between the children in the cult and the women in the military. One of those parallels is all the same stuff is happening to all of us. The culture is pretty much out in the open, but we don't talk about it. And people think they know, right? I get told I don't look like a cult survivor all the time. And I get told I don't look like a veteran all the time. And people, what hit me, right, was people think they know what it is like. So what I realized was that people do not know what is happening to the Daughters of America when we disappear behind the high commune walls of the Department of Defense. And so I was like, I think I need to do something that no one's, I think, really done in quite this way before, which is, you know, show up as strong soldier, proud soldier. You know, I was one of the first women that integrated into deliberate ground combat and sort of de-brainwashed the men from thinking that we couldn't do 
warfare. Um, you know, I got a medal from the president. I'm a proud, proud daughter of the 101st. But also, I wanted to talk about what it is like to be a sister in the Band of Brothers unit, right? And like, because, and especially with, with cult think, right? There's the other, right? So in Uncultured, you are going to get kind of the concept of army as cult in itself, the way we are programmed, the way we are taught to dehumanize the people we go to war with against, right? And the way that we don't question what is going on, right? Uh, For example, you're going to see, you know, some of our guys die and some of the terrorists have also died, right? So I'm here questioning, you know, if you believe in something enough to die for it, like you really believe you're right too. So my whole service, I'm kind of trying to hold space for this as I more and more realize I am in, you know, a second cult, a a pretty extreme organization that has these tendencies, right? These tendencies to go extreme, these tendencies for charismatic leaders who are narcissistic to be able to really impact units. But then you also see kind of the cult within the cult or the experience of the women and the experience of that being othered and really what it is like to operate in a system that's not made for you and how traumatic that is. Mm -hmm. 